Good morning, Connect uh, PD here. Well, actually, I'm not here. Uh, I'm in the Dominican Republic just hanging out with my, my team from church. We've got some youth going down to the Dominican, and of course, my, my three beautiful girls. It's not very often, if ever, uh, as a father, you get to travel with your girls out of the country. So uh, miss you guys. Uh, just know that I'm praying for you and... Um, sweating my butt off down there in the Dominican, but can't wait to be back with you. I want to continue our series, The Last Days. How many are excited about the series? Uh, I'm sure I'm getting applause all over the house right now. But anyway, we're going to go into our second installment, and if you're new to Connect, I just want to welcome you as we kind of deal and delve into real issues that take place, uh, not only in this life, but in the life to come. So we're kind of, in this particular subject, we're dealing with not just the prophetic or providential or eschatological sequence of events as it unfolds, but we're also dealing with the the personal plan. Um, We're dealing with the last days as it it is referenced in the scripture prophetically, but we're also dealing with our last days, how to personalize this and be ready as we address uh, the subjects of things like heaven and hell and uh, the second coming of Christ, and the judgment. Those are major, major subjects in the Bible that oftentimes are overlooked and kind of kept in the shadows, and we're bringing them to the light. One of our theme texts, if you want to look in your worship guide or on YouVersion to track with us, and as you saw in our message opener, is Micah chapter 4, verse 1, which basically, I'll paraphrase paraphrase it and say this, it was a foretelling of things to come that the church of Jesus Christ, which we believe at Connect is the hope of the world. We believe that the church is actually going to rise up in the last days, and it is going to be kind of a beacon of hope. It is going to be a place of refuge. It is going to be a place where people are restored and reconciled. People find answers to life's most difficult questions. And so we're simply just kind of rising up and fulfilling our responsibility. It also says that people from all over the earth will flow unto the church. And so, yeah, things are going to get a little crazy. Things are going to get a little hectic. Things are going to get a little bit more difficult and are as we go forward and approach the return of Christ. But the church of Jesus Christ is going to rise up. Can I get an amen out there? And so we're going to continue uh, talking about some some interesting subjects. Last week, I dealt with uh, a very tough question. And the tough question was, you know, how could a loving God ever send anybody to hell? And instead, the truth we found out is that the real question was, uh, we kind of flipped it. It's how could, how could we reject a loving God? God is so loving, and yet we have been um, rebellious, many of us, at different phases in our life, or humanity certainly has, and we've rejected a loving God. And so the, the, the kind of former question that we unpacked was erroneous. It was really a trick question um, that, thank you, Jesus, it was a trick question that Satan had planted really in the minds of uh, the world today to confuse and to disrupt and I believe to uh, deceive. And so the truth is God doesn't send anybody to hell. Instead, he lets us choose or determine our own final destination as eternal beings. The truth is we're actually, uh, we're actually spiritual beings having a human experience. 
we all, in an ultimate sense, will live forever. It's just the destination is up to us. And Romans 1, we discussed last week, reveals to us, God reveals to every person, both inwardly and outwardly, uh, about himself. And so the truth is, whether you see it in the law of God, the word of God, or you see it in the nature of God, that his motive is for us all to be together. And so I encourage you to get that CD uh, from last week. It'll help you a lot. But today we're going to talk about not so much a tough question, but some easier questions, some easy questions. It may not be easy to you, um, but they're really easy to answer from the Scripture. And I kind of put a little, um, you know, experiment out there on Facebook, just trying to see what people's questions are about Facebook. It was very intriguing for me and kind of entertaining at the same time. Uh, and so I thank you for some of your input through Facebook or Twitter. I'm going to answer some of those questions today. I can't answer them all, but I'm going to answer kind of the top 10 as I see it. Um, and then I'm going to give you one bonus question. Anybody out there, raise your hand if you'd like a bonus question. So I'm going to start with a bonus question. Um, and this is a question that I get asked a lot of times over the years. People want to know, you know, will there be pets in heaven? And uh, before I give you that answer, I want to say I have a dog. And I've talked about my dog before. Um, what you may not know is he's getting old and he's getting on my nerves. And, um, and so this idea, will there be pets in heaven? My answer to that question is yours will, but mine won't. <laughs> my pet won't because from hell he came and from hell he shall return. No, I'm just kidding. I love my dog and hopefully you guys will talk better about your dog than I did. He really is awesome. But for some people, I don't know where they got their animals. I don't know if some of them will go to heaven. But my dog hasn't quite come to salvation yet. The age of accountability, I don't know where that is. But I often try to get him to say the sinner's prayer. But he just keeps resisting the Holy Spirit. And so when I give him a treat, trying to get him to talk to God, he just won't pray and he needs to get saved and come into right standing because I tell him all the time that right standing produces right behavior, Hunter. And if you, if you want to learn right from wrong, you have to get your heart right. But anyway, the Bible does say, and some of you really do want to know, uh, that if animals will be in heaven. And it does say that the lion and the lamb will lie down together in the book of Revelation. And so there are references to animals in heaven. But I want to give you kind of our two key texts this morning. And they're both taken from the last book in the Bible. It's Revelation. Some people say Revelations. It's Revelation. And Revelation chapter 6 is one of those. And then Revelation chapter 21. I'll read 21 later, but I'm going to read Revelation 6 verses 9 through 12 right now. And this is what it says. It says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. I'm going to give you questions regarding heaven. Here's the first question I want to ask and answer. Number one in your notes, will we have bodies in heaven? Will we have bodies in heaven? The answer is yes, we will have bodies in heaven. People have misconceptions that we'll just float around on clouds and play harps and eat grapes and cheese. And some think we just we won't have bodies. We'll just kind of be a, a wisp of air or smoke. And uh, let me just ask you a simple question. In Revelations, Revelation, we just read in chapter 6, why did he give robes to them if they didn't have bodies? In addition, he said that he gave each of them, interesting that he used that word, each of them robes. I believe, actually, that he has custom 
clothing uh, for each of us. It's not going to be those <laughs> those Johnnies we wear in the hospital with the backside of us, you know, X-rated version clothing that we wear in the hospitals. No, this is going to be a lot nicer than that. First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, uh, the resurrection chapter it's known as, it says this. It says, the first man was of earth, speaking of Adam, made of dust. The second man, Jesus, is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. In other words, Adam had an earthly body, so we will too. And is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. In other words, this is stating that Jesus' body is our example. He had an earthly body. He, he got tired. He got hungry. Uh, he got older uh, in his body. He, he eventually suffered. He eventually died. Uh, uh, that body later, of course, we know it was resurrected. And that heavenly body then was later on earth. And um, he ate a meal. Um, in fact, uh, his first meal was, was fish, fish and chips. You may not realize that, but the first meal when you get to heaven will be fish and chips. Um, so um, he, he, his, his, his life, Jesus' life, was the example of the earthly and the heavenly to us. And, and the heavenly body was, this heavenly body that Jesus had was walking on the road one day and then with some disciples, and then, and then he disappeared. It was a, this heavenly body walked through walls. Um, this heavenly body, a locked door. This heavenly body um, said, come touch, you know, uh, my hands and, and, and see for yourself. And so this, this body uh, that we will receive, ultimately, it will be a glorified body. And our body will be like this glorified body of Jesus one day. And we, re- we will receive it when we reunite with Christ at the second coming, which I'll talk about a little bit more, but many don't know this about Jesus, but when he was on earth in his resurrected body, you know, he, he, was, he, he said, you know, come touch this. You, there was, a, there was a, a tangible ability to touch a spiritual or glorified body. And so the truth is there's something of the physical that becomes a part of the heavenly at the same time. And there's similar attributes to our former body also in our spiritual body or our, our glorified or resurrected body. I hope you're following me out there. In 1 Corinthians 15, the whole chapter would be good to read um, on your own to understand the differences between the uh, celestial and the terrestrial, Just to understand the difference between what, what it's like on earth and what it's like in heaven for further study. And you may not have known this, but the body and the spirit, again, they reunite at the second coming of Christ. But let, let me also give you something else you may not know. This is kind of cool. Um, I was thinking about this when I was doing, Deej is recording me right now, but I was thinking about this when I did a funeral with him recently after the fact. And and you may not know this, but how we bury people is very interesting. We actually we actually bury people on purpose because of the Bible, because of our Christian heritage. And if you think about this, if you watch any funeral you go to and, and you see where does the pastor stand, uh, he always is supposed to stand, in truth and uh, etiquette, at the head of the casket. And if I get there uh, to the tent and to the gravesite before the casket has arrived, uh, I am still supposed to sit at the head of the casket, but how will I know? What will I do in that particular situation? And the truth is, uh, wherever is facing west, we bury people, you may not realize this, but we bury people with their feet to the east and their head to the west. You know why? Well, Matthew chapter 24, verse 27, it says this, For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. 
In other words, we bury people with the end in mind. In fact, the kind of big idea today is to think with the end, of, with think with the end in mind. We bury people so that when they come out of the grave, they're facing Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Uh, and so we, want that, we, don't want, we don't want them to live in eternity upside down, resurrected to their heavenly body upside down. And so it's, it's good to know that we have that in mind as we're going from this life into the next. And so if you ever do a funeral, Deej, then stand at the head facing west. And so I forgot to teach you that the other day. Uh, number two question, will we go to heaven immediately? Will we go to heaven immediately? The answer is yes, yes. Uh, there's a lot of uh, popular teaching out there, um, in particular on the, uh, what's called soul sleep. And, and this is erroneous. Uh, they teach those who have died are in some uh, suspended state until the second coming of Christ, and that is not true. I want to clear that up for you today. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that we will immediately go to heaven. And if you notice in our key text from Revelation chapter 6, that these martyrs have died, are in heaven, in the presence of God, and it is clear, clearly before the second coming of Christ. And so the second coming of Christ is not until Revelation chapter 19. So you, you might remember this next story, uh, what Jesus said to the thief on the cross just before they were getting ready to die or pass from this life to the next, Jesus said to the thief who was uh, contrite and repentant, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, we are confident, verse 8, it says, we are confident, yes, well pleased rather, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so this emphatically demonstrates that immediately when someone who knows the Lord dies, they are in heaven with God. Number three, will we be able to communicate in heaven? The answer is yes, yes. Again, I think people think we're just, you know, floating around on clouds and uh, just floating by, and people are floating by on clouds. Maybe your mother-in-law went by and you were surprised by that. And, and that is why, and that's why they didn't talk up there. That's maybe why they don't talk. No, we're not just eating grapes and playing harps. Heavenly Heavenly realms, heaven, is highly relational, highly relational. Uh, notice our key text again, Revelation chapter 6. The martyrs talked, and they talked to God. The, the, the word actually says they talked loudly. By the way, there are many other references. I just try to focus them on particular ones. But they talked loudly. They cried, the Bible says, with a loud voice. Heaven is not going to be like some of the church services maybe that we grew up in. You know, very old. We don't want to wake him up. No, it's not like that. Heaven, you know, will be filled with, with uh, people and will be filled with, with communication and talking. Revelation chapter 6, verse 10. Again, they called out in a loud voice. How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? It's not going to be a quiet place, necessarily. N uh, number four, will we have emotions? Because I have many questions, I won't expand these answers too long. But will we have motion, emotions? Uh, yes. And, and I want you to notice this text reveals that these men clearly cared deeply about what was going on on earth. And also remember that uh, we were, as we talked about last week, and are created in the image of God. And so your emotions are part of your soul. And your soul is going to go to heaven. Your soul is made up of your spirit, your mind, and your body, your mind, your will, your emotions, your feelings. You'll have a mind. You, ha you have a will. You have emotions. And you, you might say, can I or someone then choose not to serve God after death? The answer is no. At that point, you have made your choice. Uh, when we have, we have this life to make that choice, as we discussed 
last week and maybe even more in the coming weeks because the Bible says it's appointed unto every man to die and after that, uh, the judgment. So please understand, this life we have, it's, 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 there's no dress rehearsal. Again, it's, it's the real show. And so that, it's false info And so to say otherwise. And I'll cover this more next week, but we do have emotions. Luke 15, 7 says, I tell you in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Psalm 16, 11, I love this. You will show me the path of life in your presence. How many know when we're in heaven, we'll be in the presence of God. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The Bible tells us there's joy in heaven, that there's joy unspeakable. The joy we have on this earth cannot even compare to the joy, the peace, the wonder that we have in this life and what we see in this life in the presence of God. It's so much more. And emotions, trust me, are a part of your soul. And so God, as we said last week, is not this emotionless, sterile, antiseptic uh, being. He can be grieved. He can be hurt. Uh, he, He weeps. He cries. It's very important that you understand that we have emotions. Uh, Number five, will we know everything? Will we know everything? Will we be omniscient when we get to heaven? The answer is, and a lot of people think otherwise, the answer is no, we won't know everything. This is a common misconception. Many believers misinterpret. um, They may not realize this, but what happens is they've misinterpreted two portions of Scripture that I'll say, I'll show you, and they make them say something that they didn't mean to say or, or, or actually mean, and as a result, they conclude that we'll be omniscient in heaven. They think the Bible says we will uh, know as he knows. We will know as he knows. Therefore, know everything. And it doesn't say that. It says we will see him as he is, and we will know as we are known. 1 Corinthians 13, is, uh, verse 12 is where we get this. It says, for we, we know we see in a mirror dimly now. Then face-to-face, later, when and then. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just also as I am known. In other words, I will know others and they will know me. It is not saying I will know everything, it's just I will know others and they will know me. 1 John 3, 2 also says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. In other words, we then will have an eternal or heavenly perspective. When it says we are going to be like God, again, remember Adam and Eve, they were like God. We are created like God, but we are not and will ever be God. We are not omniscient. And actually, this is, I think, a great thing about heaven. Uh, If you got there and you knew everything about heaven, you wouldn't have anything to learn, anything to explore, anything to discover. A lot of the excitement and enthusiasm about heaven would be removed by the notion, the erroneous notion that we'll know everything. The truth is we're going to discover things uh, for the rest of eternity. I believe in heaven personally that we will be able to travel at the speed of thought. We'll be able to visit a star that the Hubble telescope has never seen or never gone to before. We will continually be able to enjoy the creation of God, learn things about God and his comprehensive kingdom. And it's going to be, I mean, the truth is it's going to be way better than the Discovery Channel. And so it's exciting. In verse uh, 10 of Revelation 6, these martyrs ask God a question. Look, so they ask him a question. They didn't know, in other words, when God would avenge. And God later told them, 
later by an angel what would happen. And it says in verse 10b, it says, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And then Jesus said this in Matthew 24, 36. You've heard this before. But that day and hour, no one knows. No one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, but my Father only. In other words, no one knows. Not even those who died and are in heaven know everything. So the guy... (laughs) you know, who occasionally you see passing out the pamphlets about the second coming of Christ, he doesn't know. He's cray-cray, okay? So he don't know. Number, number six, uh, will we know what is happening on earth? When we're there, will we know what's happening on earth? If, if our last day is before the last days, will we know uh, what's happening here on earth? The answer is yes. Yes, we will. The martyrs asked, again, a great example of this, when are you going to avenge our blood, God? In other words... <laughs> Those guys that, they're still walking around time. We see those guys walking around who killed us. When are you going to take care of that? And this is telling us that we're going to understand what's going on on earth uh, from heaven, and I would submit to you also from a heavenly perspective. We're looking at through it now a different lens. When you look through the lens of eternity versus through the temporal, uh, it, it, your perspective is very, very different. Hebrews 12, 1 says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded uh, by so great a cloud of witnesses. You can all say that, a cloud of witnesses. Come on, say it. Anyway, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And so this, this chapter, chapter 12, is after another, obviously it's after chapter 11, but that chapter 11 is known as the Hall of Faith. And all these Old Testament saints who have gone before us and kind of mighty, mighty mentions, so to speak, of things that they have done, these incredible uh, people. And, and they in, um, are referenced in chapter 12 as these witnesses. And these cloud of witnesses are there currently cheering you and I on as we go through this life here on earth. And you, in other words, have people in heaven who have gone before you, and I would especially mention and believe, including friends and family that are cheering you on. Luke 15, 7 says, I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And again, this... Um, has to be after the coming of Christ, because after the coming of Christ, no sinner can repent. Um, He is saying that when a person gets saved, and I personally believe uh, it's your family and it's your friends that are throwing this party. I believe there are people up there, when I get there, they're they're, they're, they're cheering me first, but they're cheering me on here now. But when I get there, they're going to be like, yes, finally. I mean, Derek got saved. It's a miracle. And they're going to look at you and they're going to say the same thing. It's a miracle. You know, you got saved. And so they're, they're cheering. They're, they're doing everything in their power to encourage as a cloud of witnesses. Number seven, great question. Will we remember our lives here on earth? Uh, very simply, the answer is uh, yes. Revelation, again, chapter six says, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you judge and avenge those who dwell on the earth? In other words, they remembered they they were murdered. In other words, they haven't forgot that. Um, You know, it's like a guy saying, How did you get here, buddy? He goes, That guy killed me. That guy took me out right there. 
And it's, 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 it's funny then, but it wasn't so funny at the time. And, and so now he's not mad because he's in heaven and he's happy because he's looking through this heavenly lens. But he remembers these people, these martyrs remembered their life before. Another example that we'll cover next week in depth is the story of Abraham or Abraham's bosom. Abraham, uh, in this particular chapter, said to the rich man, he said this key word, he said, remember... In your lifetime, you received good things, and this man received evil things. He used the word remember, and this is what most theologians believe, and I want you to know I believe this as well, that, that in, our, in, in heaven, our memories make us thankful or grateful. Uh, the truth, if, if that's true, and I believe in the axioms of life, if that's true, in hell, then our memories will torment us. And because they know that the people had a chance to be in heaven, and they refused people who were inviting them to go there. And so you can't appreciate as much what you've been given when you don't remember the life that you had before. And so conversely, you'll suffer more because you remember potentially what you've ignored or overlooked and denied. And so in heaven, our memories make us grateful. We will remember. Number eight Will we know people in heaven? This is a classic. This is the one that I could almost put top of the list from some of the Facebook and Twitter tests. Will we know people in heaven? The answer is yes, we will. We just read a few moments ago in 1 Corinthians 13, we will know as we are known, and I kind of corrected the translation of that, making the interpretation of that. And, but my answer to this is a little bit more comprehensive than maybe what you think. Um, I think we will actually finally really know people. Uh, yes, we'll know people, but we will really know people. We don't really know people on earth uh, the way that God intended. In fact, the goal of this church, the goal of Connect Community Church, is to get people to a place where they really know each other. We're, we're of the conviction that God can change our heart in a moment by accepting by faith the grace that Jesus Christ has provided for us 2,000 years before, when he came the first time. And we believe in that life change, and we believe that something happens on the inside of us, uh, but that, that life change um, is a process, and it is a journey where we hope to one day uh, place you know, people in relationships where you know the real me, and I know the real you, and that's where life really begins to take formation and, I would say, transformation. We believe this is where real life change happens, and this is what we consider the most intimate level of relationships. It's, it's this kind of knowing is even a higher level of knowing than sex, for example. We see that sometimes from a worldly perspective as the highest level of intimacy, but really it's not the highest level of intimacy or expression of that. When we're in heaven, we'll finally really know each other. We will understand people. We will say, you know, I get you now, or I understand. And you'll have, you know, what we strive for sometimes today to work through problems sometimes today is to, is to, is to be empathetic and uh, about pathetic situations. And so you, you're probably going to say to your wife, honey, I finally understand you. You know, I finally get you. You didn't make sense all those years, and now 
I get it. I get it. I get it. You're an intelligent person. You're awesome. I, I never could figure it out. And I, I didn't understand what you were talking about, but now I know. Now I see. We will know people, I guess, but the truth is we'll really know people. And I think we're going to be surprised also at some of the people who are there. We're going to be like, you made it and you made it. And it's going to be fun. It's going to be very relational. Matthew 8.11 says, and I say to you that many will come from east to west, listen to this, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Do you realize what that just said? It basically is saying you're going to be able to sit down with Abraham and ask him questions. You could actually sit down with Abraham, break bread, have a meal. I think Five Guys and Fries will be there. And you can get together and you can say, hey, Abraham, what was going through your mind when you were climbing that mountain with your son to bring him as a sacrifice before God? I mean, unbelievable what kind of a, a relational environment and what kind of a uh, connecting environment it will be. It, it also made me think, <laughs> and I was thinking about this recently, that, that I've taught on, as a, as, a, as a teacher of the word, I've taught on many, many Bible characters in my pastorate. And, and I was thinking about this particular text and thinking, I've aired a lot of these guys' dirty laundry on camera now, on podcasted, you know, hundreds of people over many, many years and, and all their mistakes and all their failures and foibles. And, and I read this and I thought, you know, one of these guys is going to come up to me and go, why did you say that about me? Wait, that wasn't very fair. You know, I think about one particular character, you know, that I've done that a lot with. And it's a guy that I feel like I have a lot in common with. And that's Peter. I mean, I have I have really, you know, the rock of the New Testament, you know, and he was given, uh, he's given us pastors a lot of material to work with, and, and, and it seems that Peter had this real bad, you know, uh, foot-to-mouth disease, you know, where he just kind of blurts out stuff and says stuff, and again, I said, I identify with you, Peter, I identify with you, but you know, one day Jesus was walking on the water, okay, Jesus walking on the water, and he speaks out to his disciples and says, don't be afraid. You know, it's me. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, I'm thinking Jesus is going, I just said, it's me. What is your problem? Peter just blurts right out. Lord, if it's you, if it's you, Lord, if it's you, bid me come. Jesus says, come. Excuse me? <laughs> right after that, Peter's like taken back. He's blurting right out. If it's you, Jesus says, it is me. Come. And Peter's freaked out now because he says, come. At the Mount of Transfiguration, the same awesome guy is, is there, and Moses appears after being dead thousands of years. Elijah shows up, you know, two of the greatest prophets of all time. They're there with Jesus. Jesus peels off his flesh. He is transfigured before them. His resurrected, really glorified body shows up on the radar for the first time in human history. He reveals his true self. The glory of God is revealed there, and Peter says, it's good that I'm here. No, it's not. It has nothing to do with you, Peter. It didn't matter. He just blurts that out. And then Peter said, you know, it goes from there and he just, you know, it says, the scripture says, Peter answered. No one asked you anything, you know? No one asked you anything. There's so many other examples where he blurts stuff out. And, and, and you know, another time, um, Jesus says to his disciples, who do men say that I am, you know? And then the disciples uh, reply, well, some say thou art a prophet, and some say you are Elijah, and blah, blah, blah. And then Peter says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter, now on this occasion, he steps up and says, you know, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replies and says, Peter, 
you know, uh, flesh and blood has not revealed that unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. I don't know if you realize the translation of this, but it basically is saying, Peter, there's no way you could have got that on your own. It's a miracle. It's a miracle that you knew that answer. Anyway, I'm really sorry, Peter. I just went off on you on that one. Uh, we can talk about that later. Anyway, number nine, number nine question. Will it be boring? Will heaven be boring? No, no, the answer is no. Heaven will not be boring. Do you realize, I believe with all my heart that Satan has put this theme out there that heaven will be the most boring place in all the universe and, and, and there will be no fun and that hell is the party place, that hell is the fun place. Hell is where uh, it won't be boring. And, and I think we've even heard or talked to people who said, I don't want to go to heaven because none of my friends will be there. This is, this is so foolish. Heaven, in some respects, as I was saying on Twitter recently, is losing the marketing battle. And here's the reason, and you might want to write this down, but the reason most of us who are going, uh, most of us who are going to heaven don't even know, we, just, we, we don't even know enough about it to invite someone to go. And, and that's sad. The reason a lot of people aren't going is because we don't know enough about it to invite people to go. Imagine saying this. Imagine saying something like, there's this great restaurant. I heard about, I'm thinking about Deej right now. There's this sushi restaurant. You gotta, you gotta go. There's this incredible sushi restaurant. You've got to go. You've got to check this out. It's unbelievable. And then you say, well, where is it? I, I don't know. Well, what kind of food do they serve? Well, sushi. I mean, naturally. I mean, they serve sushi. I know. But what, what kind of sushi? I don't know. Um, have you ever been there? Well, well, no, no. But you gotta go. You gotta go. It's crazy. We do this with heaven. We don't really know enough about it, and that's why we don't have the conviction to invite people to it. We don't know the menu. We don't know what it's like. We don't know what it'll be like when we get there. Listen, it's important you know about heaven, and there's way more that we could address than what I'm telling you today in the Bible. The more we understand heaven, the more motivated we are to get friends there. The more we understand hell, the more motivated we are to keep our friends from going there. We'll talk about that more. Heaven will be wonderful. I think we'll, we can run up a thousand stairs and never get tired. I think we can, again, travel at the speed of thought all through the universe. I think we can eat, and I'm praying this is true, eat Entenmann's Danish all day long and never gain weight. Can I have an amen, a hallelujah? Turn to your neighbor and poke them in their Pillsbury dough side. That's all going No, just kidding. Don't do that. Don't do that. Anyway, Revelation 21, I said we'd get here. Uh, verse 1, it says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. Look at this. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eye. There should be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There should be no more pain. The former things have passed away. In fact, later in this chapter, there's a literal description of the dimensions of heaven. That it actually describes it as 1,380 miles by 1,380 miles by 1,380 miles. Basically, it's a perfect cube. And think about this. Listen, the greatest thing about heaven... 
uh, according to the scripture and others that we, could, that we could reference, is the greatest thing about heaven will be the fellowship with other believers and the, the, the direct fellowship with other believers and the direct fellowship with God. And the worst thing, conversely, about hell will be there'll, there'll be no fellowship with anyone ever, including being in the presence of God. It's total isolation, outer darkness, and separation. There's truly nothing more painful than this. I think we are born to be relational. God created us that way. I can remember my, I, I, I'm her uncle, but Violet Truentren, when she was a little girl, barely could talk. Uh, her parents, super relational people, um, I believe they'd be okay with this, but Violet, one occasion, she was, she'd just gone a long time without seeing any, per, any, any people, any, any people that she could be with, and she grabbed her mom's hand, and she couldn't say a lot of words, but she just looked at her mom, and she just said, people, mommy, people. See, there's something in us that's a childlikeness that wants to be in relationship, that wants to be in fellowship with people, and wants to be in fellowship with God, and God put that there. And he wants to meet and satisfy that need at the greatest level. And that's his intent, ultimately, for us all to be together as a family. Number 10, this is the most important question of all as I wrap this up. Number 10, who will be there? Who will be there? Well, this isn't a yes or no. This, this is dependent on us. Who will be there is those who believe. Those who believe. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 6, it says, And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. This is the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. The beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of water of life freely. Key word, circle underlined, freely to him who thirsts. Revelation twenty-two seventeen says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts, Come. Whoever desires, the old King James says, Whosoever will, I like that one actually, let him take the water of life again. Freely, You can see the choice is ours, as we discussed explicitly last week. In Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart we believe and with the mouth we confess and are justified. In verse 13, it says, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Who's going to be there? Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there are many more questions I'm sure that you have about heaven, but I want to answer some of the major ones. But i got to say, this is the most important one. And so I'm just going to ask you that you close your eyes, and we're going to pray. And I just uh, ask that you give God a moment to speak to you directly. Let's pray.